and welcome to the Alternative GCSE podcast. I'm your host, Emma, and I've been working in education now for over 12 years in various different roles. This podcast tackles some of the wider issues in education and hopefully will spark some more conversations to drive change so that every single child and teenager can be fully supported to grow into well-rounded, happy and successful adults. So let's get started. Most people daydream about places in the world they want to venture to or spend hours thinking about their dream house or car. But for a large portion of my adult life, I've been dreaming up a different kind of curriculum. Yeah, I'm a total and utter education nerd. But the truth is, I've kind of turned it into my lifelong work and it is the thing that wakes me up in the morning and lights me up. When I considered this episode, I originally thought, yeah, one episode will cut it. But since then, I've divided it into three different parts. Over the course of the three episodes, I will talk about the different areas of the curriculum that are lacking, that if they were implemented, would have huge benefits to kids becoming well-rounded, happy, successful adults. The subject that I'm going to discuss today is communication. Now, whilst many people would agree that we definitely need a high level of literacy and numeracy or maths rates in order to be a successful adult, many people tend to skip over the idea of being an effective communicator and kind of just presume it's something that we know and that we're kind of gifted with from birth. But with the disconnectedness of mass online activities that are replacing face-to-face activities such as working on Zoom and Teams and leisure activities like gaming and even dating... Effective communication and how to communicate with a wide range of people in a range of different ways seems to be increasingly influencing both the happiness and successfulness of a person. And yet schools don't specifically teach it. From a very young age, pupils instead are taught how to silently queue up in lines. And I'm seeing that at the moment with many people paying respects uh, to the late queen. They also are taught kids by the way taught to put their hands up until they're asked a simple question and very often not given the time to express the why or how of their answer. Many pupils that get things wrong tend not to speak up because they're kind of shot down and by the age of 11 when most go to school the characteristics of someone being an extrovert or an introvert may already be really obvious. Now the truth is that in many of the school, sorry, in many of my school reports, I was the invisible child. I didn't attend school much because I was ill. And when I did, all I did all that I could to avoid having to speak in front of anyone. To be honest with you, the thought of it just filled me with anxiety. And this unwillingness to speak carried me right into my 20s. I now meet many children and teenagers who are afraid to speak out for fear of answering something wrong or even being bullied by other children and teens for standing out in any kind of way. So instead, they just silently go on with their day, not raising their hand, not getting involved with lessons, but still having time to talk at lunchtime with their friends. Now, you may be listening to this and remember that hot feeling rise up in your body as a teacher asked you to read aloud or direct a question specifically to you in front of the whole class. But why should schools teach pupils how to communicate and how exactly would it work? Well, quite simply, schools should teach children to communicate because so many adults 
are so bad at it. I mean, how many people do you know, do you meet in your everyday life who just can't explain something very simply or who may be quite argumentative and not be able to explain why they are argumentative? I'm sure most of you listening know somebody like this. Communication and the ability to articulate yourself is something that we're often not very good at. And many people will never ask for a pay rise even because they have a fear of being sacked and a fear that their boss will come back at them with questions they won't be able to answer. Many people will not be able to communicate their boundaries to their friends or family for fear of causing an argument rather than being heard and understood. So many of the problems that we see on social media as well is because people are simply so terrible at looking at their own viewpoint and also listening to the other side objectively. While some parents are really good at helping their children to understand how to debate topics in this kind of way, many either can't find the time because I know how busy it is being a parent. Maybe some people haven't thought about it and thought about the impact on their kids of not teaching it, or it may not be a strength of theirs in the first place. So the most logical thing to do is to just teach it to all children and teenagers, just to teach communication. But how? Well, there are many schools that teach debates uh, and the idea of debating ideas and thoughts in a friendly way through the framework of something called philosophy for children. Now, this Socratic form of debate, which just means an openness to questioning and training people how to listen and also expand on ideas, has been incredibly successful in many schools. The organisation known as SAPARE um, has just been around for about 30 years now. I'm just going to read you a message that was taken um, from one of their practitioners from their website because I think it just sums it up beautifully. And here this person is talking about how the method of philosophy for children help kids and teenagers talk about the war in the Ukraine. She said, what I hope these examples show is that our students' feelings, thoughts, questions and reflections matter deeply and that philosophical inquiry is a uniquely special space for people to share their responses to a crisis. Only these conversations allow us to ask, what does this tragedy mean for me? But philosophy for children also allows participants to look beyond themselves and to be part of the larger conversation that takes place in time of crisis. Whether in the classroom, the community, or on a world stage, the voices of our students deserve to be heard. It is our job as educators to protect our students from conversations that may harm them. But we also need to empower them to speak, to listen to others and to look beyond their own experiences to the problems in the world that they have a stake in. Now, I've been lucky enough to be trained in level one and two of this particular method of teaching. And I can't tell you the impact it had on my professional career. I think before I did this training, I severely underestimated the capability students have to discuss and understand wider concepts and topics. And I also severely underestimated the power of it. One such example that I can think of was that of a girl in one of my classes. He was about 10 at the time. She was severely bullying a few of the other children in my class, which was heartbreaking for all involved. And it was over the child's or the children's race. 
in my mind, the only way, the only possible way a 10-year-old could be racist was from the home. But I thought really long and hard about it. And why should a child be punished for the way they've been brought up? I figured, isn't it better to discuss it openly and then change their way of thinking, especially since I did the training? So that's what we did. I gave my whole class, about 30 10-year-olds, the topic of bullying to discuss. Initially, the bully and her accomplices agreed that sometimes it was okay to pick on other kids. But after the 40-minute session on that Friday afternoon, when I held the discussions, her mind was radically transformed through the stories of the other children. I was merely there to ask them questions. I let the other kids talk to her. They all sat in a circle and faced each other and they offered ideas and were fully aware that the ideas were shared and you needed to listen. As a result of that 40 minute session on the Friday afternoon, the bullying stopped. There was no punishment needed. And that child, just by listening to how it impacted the others and how the others felt from her bullying, stopped her behavior. Now, I might point out that in philosophy for children, you don't target specific children, but more, you say, uh, general points. Now, imagine a world where we all listen more to, to another side, where everyone's opinions are given a space. And rather than being shot down, they're questioned so that you understand things more. It would stop a lot of problems. Now, the little 10-year-old girl that I was speaking about there, the bully, she had a mother who I later found out was in and out of rehab on drugs. And she often, I later found out, had to look after and care for herself and her mum. It was really, really sad to hear. So I could kind of understand why or where this anger came from. But through the discussions every week, those 40-minute philosophy for children conversations, she grew not only in her confidence, but also in her maturity, not just about bullying, but a wide range of topics that we discussed every week. And I think more schools should adopt this to prevent many things. But unfortunately, it's just not part of the curriculum. So not many schools do it. As well as open forums to discuss bigger ideas, such as the philosophy of children I discussed, kids and teens should be encouraged to take on group projects within the curriculum. The simple argument for this is that very few work environments take place in isolation. Even if you're a contractor, you're often contracted onto a team. If you do not have the ability to get delegate and communicate well, to look at see other people's strengths in a team, then it will be a huge detriment to not only your working environment, but also those around you. I envisage loads of projects being taking place and I will do a special podcast on High Tech High. Hopefully I can have a conversation with someone there at some point. Um, It's a school in America and they do lots and lots of group projects. So they'll spend maybe a month and this is for secondary school pupils and they'll be given the topic of putting on a play, for example. And one such thing I'm thinking of is that they put on a a play based in Afghanistan. So they're American kids and they had to do that. And this was during the kind of war that was going on there at the time. They had six weeks. They had to write the scripts. They have to make the costumes. They had to have a lighting. They had actors. And it was a whole 30 of them that worked together on it. Now, the teacher acts as a facilitator. 
and the kids kind of look at the politics they look at how they're going to write the script what's it going to be about and they have to get everything perfect in terms of religion um being polite to each other using the mannerisms from the countries and things like that and that is the kind of thing we need here it would be so much more interesting but obviously we don't do it right now but hopefully we will soon (laughs) so With the increasing numbers of children and teens having a smartphone, I'm just moving on now, the way we communicate is ever-changing. If you look at Instagram and TikTok, they make limiting ideas and moments to just 30 seconds. I make a 30-second reel most days at the moment, and it's really, really hard to summarize what I'm trying to say within just a short, tiny space. And there is value in that, but it also takes away the description part. The trouble is, because all this stuff is such new technology, no one really knows the impact it's going to have long term on our ability to communicate with each other. But one thing is for sure, as humans, we've come from thousands of years of working as a team, as a village and together. And the recent COVID pandemic saw the world's mental health crisis explode when we lived in separation. If we don't help our young people to effectively communicate with each other, then we are doing them a total disservice. So what can you do? Well, if you're a parent and not regularly having deep conversations with your kids about things like climate change, what they think about current affair topics or just the future in general, just something really silly, um, like why is is the air wet? For example, I I had a conversation uh, with my partner about that. That was quite funny recently. But these kind of conversations really do expand your horizons and make you think in a different way. Why not give it a try? There is a great card game called Debate It. Sorry, Debate It is the card game, uh, which you can buy from online retailers, which gives you topics to discuss together. Not only will activities like this bring you together more as a family because you'll be able to share your ideas, but you will also be giving your children and teenagers a safe space to help them manage their own feelings and thoughts about the world, which they can transfer to school, university, the workplace, and also conversation with their friends. If you're a teacher, maybe look at creating a debate club or see if you can get training to become registered for SAPRE. This will help your school to become better at talking to each other. And it also has been shown to improve literacy levels amongst kids who feel stronger and more confident in their ability to critique and be curious about text and the world around them, which applies to every every single area of the curriculum, but more importantly, their wider life. Thank you so much for listening to today. Next week, I'll be taking a look at the ways schools should do more to help and prevent the mental health crisis that's happening, not only here in the UK, but across the globe. We'll be looking at why it's happening, what schools can do and how it will benefit the child overall. If you like this podcast, please like and review. It helps other people know where we are and also gets more conversations flowing. 